Hello and welcome to episode, excuse me, I'm speaking, episode 85 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this is Finn. He won't be telling any jokes. That's Aiden's line. But. <laughs> That's Aiden. But you will hear some baby coos. <laughs> and grunts and snorts. Anyway, this is episode 85 of Killer Hangover. I'm just excited to be back. I had so much fun with last week's episode. I'm just having fun being back. I've missed this. No kidding. Me too. We will be covering a true crime and a paranormal story from Washington, D.C. this week. Yes. I'm pretty excited about mine. I'm uh, anxious to share my story this week. I have the true crime. Mom has the paranormal and the beverage. And I'm kind of scared about what it is. I made it look pretty, though. It's got a nice cinnamon sugar rim. No, you definitely made it look really fancy. It is. It's fancy. Okay. There you go. Cheers. I don't know if we can tote cheers a shot glass. <laughs> Did you hear that? That was cute. <laughs> Two little shot glasses. Oh, here. I'm handing the baby off oh. to Alex. Thank you. I felt very weird taking a shot of, yeah, that smells like tequila with my baby. Okay. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Cheers, mom. Woo. Yeah, we haven't done shots for a while, so I thought it would ring your bell. Okay. You'll see. <laughs> Okay. I'll tie in. Okay. Well, I'm. It's ringing bells. Mom, <laughs> what kind of tequila is that? What kind you had in your cabinet? <laughs> okay. It's a kind Tom picked out for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I am a huge tequila drinker. I love tequila. Chilled, and it has to be like, I don't want to see like Blanc. a yellow. Yeah. Yes, thank you. That's the word. <laughs> I love tequila, but I don't know any names for them. <laughs> I like the rim. Yes. Is that like a cinnamon or? Cinnamon sugar rim. Well, there you go. That's, I've never had that before. Usually it's salt or lime or. I know. I know. All right. So ringing bells. All right. I'll keep that in mind. I'll just keep pouring. You keep talking. <laughs> Enjoy. I, I <laughs> One will do me. That's for sure. Let's see if I can get through this true crime story. Okay. Who's ready to get mad? Huh? <laughs> this case gets me so mad. And it has since I first heard it years ago. This case has not been covered as much as it really should. The victim I'm advocating for today is Robert Wan. I heard this case a few years ago, like I said, and revisiting it for research for this episode made me just as mad now as it did then. Yeah. All cases are hard to research in reference to the victims. You know, right. you just you get so emotional for all the victims every time we research. And some touch us a little more than others, but this one really touched me, especially because Robert was such an amazing human being. Before I get into the case, I'm going to share a little bit about Robert. Like I said, this case has not been covered all that much, so I did my best with resources. Okay. Robert was born June 1st, 1974. He was a fourth generation Chinese American. He grew up in a townhouse in Brooklyn, New York with his mom, dad, and his little brother. His dad was a tech engineer for a bank and his mom was a librarian. Growing up, he was such a determined kid in everything he did, in his education, in his athletics, his main sport being baseball. He loved baseball. Actually, his whole family did, and they really all bonded over their love of baseball and the Mets. Okay. From what I read, he wasn't the best at baseball, but he would be the first at practice. He'd be the last at practice. Like his he heart and soul. gave it his all. Mm -hmm. And this passion was also in politics from a very young age. He volunteered with local politicians as young as the age of 15. Wow. All right. Growing up, he attended a private all-boys Catholic school, and then he headed to William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia for college. 
Robert was such a people person, just this overall friendly energy. He made friends wherever he went. He also studied very hard and was very ambitious. And he was really smart. Beyond that, he had this caring spirit. Mom, he would go and put change in expired ticket meters for strangers. Just do it. I mean, he was just a freaking good person. All the way around. Jeez. The campus renovation fund ran out of money, and he went and lay sod by himself. Oh my gosh. He cleaned sculptures on his campus. When he found out that the president of the university had crippling arthritis, he got some friends together and they would go and help with things around the house. Who is this guy? Oh my gosh. He and a group of friends reinstated the 13 Club in college. And I guess this is like literally a secret organization where the members go around doing good deeds and random acts of kindness for people. The people in this group became lifelong friends or foe, depending on what you believe at the end of this story. One of those quote-unquote friends was a man named Joseph Price, Joe. Joe was a few years older than Robert. He was actually the one who gave Robert and his family the campus tour before he started as a freshman. The two were both involved in student government and both wanted to become lawyers. Joe became a mentor of sorts for Robert. In college, Robert was elected for many honor societies, a recipient of awards for his humanitarian work, and a friend to all. He graduated William and Mary in 1996 and went on to the University of Pennsylvania for law school. There he became very active in the Asian Pacific American Law Student Association. He worked on law reviews about racial harassment and became the senior editor of the school's journal on labor and employment law. Robert graduated cum laude in 1999. Jesus, kid. In 2000, D.C., 2000 D.C. Not 2000. B.C. (laughs) This is what I get for trying to like skip words in my notes and make it easy for me. In 2000, he lived in D.C., but just says 2000 D.C. So, you know, (laughs) this is where we are with a shot of alcohol and no sleep. This is where we are. Okay. I'm crying. (laughs) So would it be during Christ? (laughs) I'm not breathing. I'm not breathing. This is not even that funny. (laughs) Oh my god. My stomach hurts. Okay. Okay. Get it together. Okay. Uh, Yeah. You get it together. Because in 2000... Robert lived in D.C., and he worked for a commercial real estate and employment law office called Covington and Burling. He probably got hired right away, right? Oh, I'm sure. In 2002, while attending a law conference, he met Catherine Ellen Yu, or Kathy. She was from Chicago, and from the moment they met, they really hit it off. The two began a long-distant relationship with her in Chicago and him in D.C., Robert flew out about every weekend to visit her. Wow. Kathy had a different childhood than Robert. Her family was Korean. She grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. And at a young age, she was diagnosed with lupus, which you mentioned somebody in your story last week had lupus. I did. And I was like, no, that's so bizarre because it's it's a very rare condition. The mother of Amy. Yeah. And uh, Kathy had lupus. And she was actually really worried about this diagnosis when she told Robert she thought this would like scare him off but not this guy are you kidding me soon after she told him about that she had lupus he invited her to travel with him and his family for a month in China and soon after they returned home from the trip the two got engaged it was a whirlwind romance with the two getting married on June 7th 2003 which is about a year of knowing each other Mm-hmm. The couple moved to Oakton, Virginia, a suburb of Washington, D.C. And I'm sorry, what did she do? Was she in law? She was also? a lawyer as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. They um, met at some kind of a law conference. That's right. Okay. So like I said, Robert was working with Covington and Burling, and he chose to work with them because 
I mentioned they were commercial real estate and employment law, but he chose to work with them because they really allowed him to do a lot of pro bono work in and around his community. Of course he would do that. Of yeah. course, exactly. It's all about giving back for him. It, that, that's what fulfilled his soul. And after a while, Covington and Burling wasn't filling his cup anymore. And so he ended up leaving and took he took a role um, of general counsel for Radio Free Asia, which was an online news. Like it worked with this online kind of a news organization and it went to listeners in East Asia and it was this huge pay cut but helping people made him happy and that's Mm -hmm. that's all it was for him Uh, with this new job he began commuting into DC with his wife for work so I wish this was just a tale of two people with servants hearts and law degrees (laughs) out helping the world but this is the true crime portion so I am sorry On Wednesday, August 2nd, Robert had a legal seminar he planned to attend after work. And he also wanted to visit with his night employees that evening, which meant he would be getting done with all of that extremely late. And basically just to turn around and commute back into the city for the next day of work in the morning. So instead, he wanted to find a place to crash that evening in D.C., He asked a female friend first, but she was busy. So he then called his old friend, Joe Price, from college. Oh, yes. Joe lived in a gorgeous townhome near where Robert worked. I think it was like eight minutes away. Joe, being a man who loved to host, of course said yes to his old college buddy. A little about Mr. Joseph Price. Mm -hmm. At this time, he was a very prominent lawyer. Remember, he too was a part of that 13 club. Right. So he had a servant's heart of sorts as well. Joe was gay and worked very hard in the gay right advocacy projects around the city. He was the president of the advocacy gay group in Washington, D.C. He and his partner of the last 10 years, Victor Zaborski, lived together in their beautiful townhome in D.C. Um, they also shared this townhome with two other roommates, Dylan Ward and Sarah Morgan. She resided in the basement level of the townhome. It was kind of like her own little space. Okay. And like I said, Victor and Joe had a partnership, a relationship for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. But Joe and Dylan had a relationship as well. The two oh. shared a dominant submissive relationship. Like in an interview, I believe it was Victor stated that they were like a family of sorts. Between okay. the Everybody three of them. Buddy was okay. No, not with... Sarah. Sarah was not involved Sarah in this wasn't at in, all. But the guys were all okay yes. with Yeah, it. it was. Okay. Yeah. So the living arrangements in the townhome were, like I said, Sarah's in the basement area. Then there's the main level with the kitchen and everything. And then there's a second story, which had Dylan's room and a guest room where Robert would be staying. Mm-hmm. And then there's a third floor where Joe and Victor had their shared room. Okay. So to the best of our knowledge, the timeline of the events of the evening of August 2nd are as followed. And this is what was officially reported. At 8.45 a.m., Robert kissed Kathy goodbye at the metro station as the two headed to their jobs. Okay. He went to work. He attended the law seminar. And some resources actually called it a continuing law education class of sorts. Mm-hmm. At 9.30 p.m., he called Kathy at home and told her that he was heading to meet his night workers at the office. Around 9.40, he arrived at his office and met with the night staff. At 10.24 p.m., he calls Joe Price from his office to inform him that he would be leaving shortly in a cab to head to his house. It would be an eight-minute cab ride from the office to Joe's. Around 10.40, Robert Wan arrived at 1509 Swan Street. Victor was up in bed watching Project Runway. Dylan and Joe greeted Robert when he arrived. They had some water in the kitchen and some small talk. And then shortly after his arrival, Robert actually headed up to the guest room to go to bed. Okay. Later investigators will find two unsent emails on Robert's BlackBerry. One drafted at 11.05 and the other drafted a few minutes later. The one was to his wife, Kathy, saying that he was going to take a shower and was heading to bed. The second was to a colleague about a lunch meeting that they had the following day. All right. Now, I will get into the investigation later, but again, these were drafted, never sent. Dylan went up to his room shortly after Robert 
took a sleeping pill. He heard Robert taking a shower before he fell asleep around 11 o'clock. Joe went to his room with Victor. Victor was already in there watching TV. Joe watched a little TV with Victor, but they shortly fell asleep as well, around 11. Shortly after falling asleep, Joe and Victor report to hearing the door chime for their security alarm go off. So the alarm wasn't set. It's just that the door was opening. Yeah. Okay. Now, this was odd because that evening, or it's odd, it's not odd. I, I, Sarah told them that she was going out that evening. And before she left, she said, don't wait up for me. Some resources said that if she's going out and she was going to be out late. Other resources said that she was actually out of town. She was going out of town that night. So, okay. But from what I understand, they were not expecting her to come home that night. So when the door chime went off, they assumed it was Sarah. And this so, was after 11 o'clock. Yes. Soon after the door chime, they hear what sounds like a moan or like a deep guttural scream coming from downstairs. They go to look and discover Robert Wan had been stabbed. Now, I'm going to play you the 911 call. It is seven minutes long, so be warned, but I feel like hearing it and listening to it is going to set it up better than I personally could. So this is the 911 call that Victor made at 11.49 p.m. NBC emergency 911 operator 6752. Do you need police, fire, or ambulance? What's wrong, ma'am? We had someone that was in our house, evidently, and they stabbed somebody. Okay, somebody's inside the house now? I don't know. We heard. Are they bleeding? You see someone bleeding? Someone is bleeding in our house. Okay, where's they bleeding from? Uh, I think he was, I think in the stomach. In the stomach, is he cautious? Uh, Calm down for me. I'm going to set some help, okay? Female or male? It's a male. He's a friend of ours. He was, spent, he was spending the night with us. Okay. And who was the person that stabbed him? Do you know? Is he, is, is he cautious? We need an ambulance. Ma'am, no, listen no, to me. He's not conscious. He's not conscious at all? No. We need someone right now. Is he breathing? Listen to me. Calm down. I'm going to help you. Okay, she's breathing. I'm upstairs, and she's downstairs. I don't know. Okay, who's downstairs with him? My partner is downstairs with him right now. He told me to go upstairs and call the police immediately. I just went to the stairs. Okay, who's the person? Okay, I'm sending paramedics and the police. Okay, who's the person that stabbed him? I don't know. We think it's somebody with an intruder in the house. We heard a chime the door. Ma'am, calm down. 1509 Swan Street, Northwest. Am I correct? Yes, it is. The person that says I'm still in the home? I don't know. Okay, ma'am. Okay, ma'am. We got help from Ron, okay? Pardon me? We have help from Ron. They are laying around to you now. I'm saying the police and the paramedics, okay, to assist. Okay, what I need you to do is go downstairs, okay? The place where, wherever he was stabbed at, I need you to get a dry cloth, okay? And just apply pressure to that area. If he was wherever he was stabbed at on his body, I need you to take a towel downstairs while you're waiting for the paramedics to arrive and just apply pressure. Even if the rag or towel is saturated with blood, just get another towel and put it on top, but never lift the first towel off the area. Hold it on. Once it gets filled up with blood, just put a number of towel on top of that. And just apply pressure until the paramedics arrive. Yeah. 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 Is it hard? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is he breathing? Is he breathing? We have help him right now, okay? You don't know who it was? No idea. Don't touch, don't touch, just, 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 Okay, just go down there and try to tell your husband or your other um, the other half to just try to keep him calm and talk to him, okay? 
keep them calm and talk to them until someone gets there. Okay. And at the same time, get a dry cloth and just hold it right there in the area. Yes, my partner's holding the okay. Uh, okay, and once it gets saturated with blood, tell them get another one. Go get another towel okay. so you can apply it on top of that one once it gets filled up with blood. Okay. We, need, we need you to apply pressure on that area. Yes, applying pressure. Okay, just hold it there until the paramedics get there. They should be pulling up any moment. They're already en route to your location. You don't know who did this. We have no idea who did this. Is the door open so they can get in? We don't know how they got in. Okay, well, I'm asking you now. Is the door open so the paramedics can get in once they get here? What? Sorry. What were you saying? Is the door open so they can get in? Is the door open so the, so the paramedics can get in the home? I'm going to go down. Is this a private home or apartment? It's, it's a home. It's a home. That's 1509 Swan Street, Northwest. The person had one of our knives. The person that stabbed him ran out the door with a knife? I, I think so. Uh, okay, anybody get any type of description of the person that came in the home? No idea. We have no description. We heard we heard the chime and, and we heard the scream from our friends. Okay. And so we came running downstairs. We ran in. So you both was upstairs and your friend was downstairs? Yes. You heard the door open and then you heard the scream? We didn't. I didn't hear the door open until after the screen and then we ran down the stairs and we heard we are we have an alarm and so the chime went off okay is the ambulance we really need the ambulance okay they are right they are right now ma'am go to the door they should be pulling up any moment okay i'm afraid to go downstairs okay the person who's downstairs was the person that was assaulted no we're in the we're on the second floor okay so somebody need to go and open the door for the paramedics you're not sure if that person's still in the home or not i have no idea okay we have paramedics around okay what time is it what time is it at the moment? Yes. 2354. It's 1154, ma'am. 1154. Yes. I mean, I'll stay on the line with you. I will stay on the line until somebody gets here. Okay, I won't hang up. We need them right now. I'm not hanging up, but we need, we need help now. Okay, they're in route, ma'am. They are in route. <laughs> Let me know when you hear the paramedics. Can you look out the window and see if you have no comment? I'm looking out the window and I see nothing. I see nobody. Okay, it seems like forever, but they are en route, ma'am. They're coming. Here they are. Here they are. They're there. I'm going downstairs. Okay. I'll stand in line with you till you open the door for the paramedics, okay? <laughs> Someone was stabbed on our second floor. <laughs> Ma'am. No, it's really an emergency. I'm sorry. <laughs> Ma'am, it's going to be okay. <laughs> okay. I'll go over the call with you because I know it was a bit long and some of you may not have listened to it all. <laughs> or maybe you didn't understand or misunderstood. But right, right. So first off, yes, that is Victor who made the call. The 911 operator just accidentally misgenders him. Yes, um, yes. But Victor st- states that there was an intruder that came in. They heard the door chime. And basically he's like, and apparently he stabbed our friend. Um, okay. He even fears that the intruder is still in the house and he was mm-hmm. afraid to go downstairs. He states that his partner, Joe, is applying pressure to the wounds with a towel. Mm -hmm. He states he believes that he was stabbed in the stomach. First, he says the stomach, and then he says, no, he's been stabbed in the heart. Mm -hmm. I heard another discrepancy also, but keep going. Uh, The 911 operator had asked that either he or someone apply pressure with a towel, Mm -hmm. which he claims is being done. And she says when that one fills with blood... Don't no, keep that it. one. Don't remove it, but get another towel and put that one on top of that one, and keep mm-hmm. soaking up the blood. 
since he's been stabbed in either the chest or the stomach whichever one you go mm-hmm. with there which it ends up being both oh robert juan was stabbed three times where those stabbings are located if it was just one time in the chest or one time in the stomach you and i and the 911 operator clearly assume there's going to be a lot of blood so yes. make sure you have towels on hand and you were soaking up the blood what 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 were you gonna state what was the other discrepancy he said at one point but he is probably confused i mean my gosh it was a you know traumatic thing but he goes he said i didn't hear the door open i heard the scream and then i heard the ding of the alarm Mm -hmm. um but that's not what he said at first at first he said that he heard the ding and then he heard the scream but then he kind of changed it to where i didn't hear the door open I heard the scream and then I heard the ding. So, so here's the thing though. All of it is just, uh, yeah. okay, that, I'm just going to get my tongue tied in knots over this. Okay. When paramedics arrive at 1154, which by the way, is only five minutes from when Victor called, by the wow. way. Yeah. When they arrive, it is not the chaotic scene they would have expected. First of all, they arrive and are greeted by Victor, who is sobbing as you heard Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And basically, he doesn't say anything. He's just sobbing and pointing like, you need to go upstairs. Mm-hmm. Victor is dressed in a white bathrobe and seems to have been freshly showered. They start up the stairs where they run into Dylan. He, too, is in a white bathrobe, freshly showered. Uh-uh. They ask, what's going on? Where are we going? Dylan says nothing. He points down the hall to the guest room and then goes into his room, shutting the door behind him. Now, these aren't some newbie paramedics. They've been on the force for 10 years, and one of them had even been on the force for 15 years. And the whole situation felt very odd to them, especially what was happening in the room where they found Robert's body. Joe was sitting on the edge of the bed. So just nobody was there. applying any pressure. Nobody. Not applying pressure to any wounds. He was just sitting there. One of the paramedics even stated that he felt so uncomfortable with Joe in the room that he took the long way around the bed to avoid him and to keep an eye on him. Oh. Joe looked like he had been freshly showered and he sat on the edge of the bed with just a pair of white briefs on. Like I said, these paramedics are prepared to walk into some chaotic, bloody scene. Yeah. Somebody had been stabbed. But nobody has blood on them? Here lay Robert in a gray t-shirt, gym shorts, his night guard still in, barely any blood in sight. He lay on crisp, clean sheets on the couch pull-out bed, his head up on the pillow. The comforter and top sheet pulled back slightly at a 45-degree angle, as if it was prepared to be slept in. He, too, looked freshly showered. What? Nothing seemed to be displaced. Robert's Blackberry, his two wallets, he had his wallet and then he had a dummy wallet in case he was ever mugged. So both wallets, his Blackberry and his watch, lay as exactly where he left them. Everything is clean. Huh? And everyone is calm. Joe moved out of the way as the EMTs put Robert on a stretcher and took him to George Washington University Hospital. Around midnight, Joe makes a call to Kathy, telling her that Robert had been stabbed. She headed straight to the hospital, where Robert's mom, dad, and brother met her. Robert Juan was pronounced dead at 12.25 a.m. Let's go back to the crime scene. Let's just throw some fun facts at you. There was a knife laying on the bed next to the table no that doesn't make sense on the bed (laughs) next to the table no the knife was on the table next to the bed okay apparently robert was found with this knife laying on his chest is what joe stated and joe had removed it and set it on the nightstand table victor claims he then lifted robert's shirt and discovered lots of blood He let out a scream, and that's when he called 911. Now, this is what Joe and Victor claimed. But where was this blood? Uh The knife had some smeared blood on the cutting side, but like I said, it was smeared blood. Later, evidence will prove that there was also cotton towel fibers found on the knife. It was wiped off. In the blood. Mm -hmm. Fibers that matched the cotton towel that lay on the floor. Again, you're going to think that this towel would have been covered in blood. Saturated, yes. Mom, here is a picture 
of that towel. Oh, it's got three spots, basically. That's what they are, three drops, three spots. Oh my gosh. I have more blood when I cut myself shaving. What is going on right now? Jeez. I think it looks just like, basically it looks like a knife with blood on it had been wiped on the towel. But but it definitely doesn't look much. like, no, it definitely doesn't look like the towel that would have been used to apply pressure to three stab wounds. But even wiping the knife, it doesn't look like it's very much blood. No other bloody items were found in the home. None. Now let's talk about the knife. The knife did not match up with Robert's stab wounds. Oh my gosh. Okay, so resources were a little different here, but the wounds were about three to four inches deep. Mm. One was so bad, I guess the EMT could put his fingers into the stab wound. The wounds were identical in the way that they were at the same angle and they're on the right side. Okay. But this knife that was on the side table next to the bed was like five inches long, a little over five inches long. Uh-huh. Which, so if there's three stabs, how would you get it exactly at the Four. three and a half inches or whatever it was? Four, right. Uh-huh. And it was actually from a cutlery set of knives from the kitchen downstairs. Another weird thing about this knife was how Joe pointed it out to the police. He said something along the lines of, you're going to find my fingerprints on that knife because I moved it there. You wouldn't find the killer's fingerprints on it because he was probably wearing gloves. Oh, jeez. Of course, the three men, Dylan, Joe, and Victor, were brought in for questioning. In their nice white robes? <laughs> I'm assuming they got dressed. Jeez. Hours of questioning. And I just want to make note here that Joe was incredibly concerned with Dylan, apparently. Like, checking to see if Dylan was out of questioning yet. He was very concerned if Dylan knew like that he had a right to a lawyer. Now, you can kind of write this off, I guess, because Joe is a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Victor, he actually was on, he worked with, basically he worked at the company that started the Got Milk campaign. So <laughs> okay. he's, you know, he's up there. And Dylan was a masseuse oh, okay. and he had gone to culinary school. He kind of just had odd jobs kind of around. But Joe was very concerned. Does he know he has a right to a lawyer? Is he still in there? Mm-hmm. All three men told the exact same story during the questioning. They really believed there had been an intruder. Victor and Joe had heard a chime on the door, followed by a moaning kind of low scream, which caused them to go search and find Robert on the pullout bed. Now, let's just throw another kink in all of this. This story is the one that the men will stick to probably until the day they die. But initially, when police first arrived on the scene... Joe's story was different. Officer Diane Durham was the first police to interview Joe at the house. Okay. And Joe claimed that when they heard the door chime, they found Robert outside the back door on the patio bleeding. Complete different story. He was taken to bed upstairs to lie down, and then they called 911. Totally different. But that's the only time you will ever hear that story. It was only told to Officer Diane Durham. One time. And then from there on out, it was a totally different story. Oopsie-daisy. But I just don't know why. I, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And then, so they just continually stick with this story that there was an intruder. But why an intruder? And how? This intruder would have had to climb a seven-foot privacy fence in the backyard, coming through the back door, which I guess luckily was unlocked, because there was no forced entry into the home. So... Luckily, I guess the door was unlocked or maybe the intruder had a key, but they come in and they go up the first flight of stairs. They pass by Dylan's room, Mm -hmm. go into the guest room and randomly stab Robert. There's no sign of distress. There's no sign that Robert fought. He apparently just lay there and got stabbed three times oh my gosh this case is crazy the intruder then had to have cleaned the entire crime scene including robert and then snuck out of the house all of this within a 40 minute window and again why nothing was stolen from the house no burglary was made and why would he have gone to the guest room right somebody just uh, this doesn't make sense 
FBI forensics team does come in and do the investigation. They take bits of wall, floor, I mean, carpet, everything mm-hmm. they can. They run tests. I will get to that a little later. But first, I'm going to talk about the autopsy. And heads up, it is a bit graphic and, to be honest, a bit uncomfortable to talk about with my mother. But, hey, we got to cover all aspects of the case, right? Okay. Um, I cover the stab wounds already. There was three of them. They were clean stabs. They were symmetrical. There was no defense wounds found on the body. And there were actually six needle marks found on Robert. They were found on a foot, chest, a hand, and even on the side of his neck. Obviously, a toxicology report was taken. And this is so weird to me, but... So they, I guess when you run a test, you have to put in what you're running the test for. There's not like you just put the blood in and it runs and it through find all for me. drugs. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they run the toxicology, but they don't know exactly what they're searching for. Mm-hmm. And so they run it for like the standard test, the tests for most date rape drugs. Mm-hmm. And it all comes back negative. Okay. Um, but if you don't know what you're searching for, you can't just. It doesn't pop up. Right. So the toxicology comes back absolutely negative, but obviously, and this is my opinion, some kind of sedative had to have been used mm-hmm. because nobody just sits there and takes three stabbings like that. Right, right. And they hear one moan scream that alerts them to a body. He didn't scream at all. It doesn't, like, doesn't make sense. So was he stabbed in the heart? He was. So he was stabbed in the heart, the pancreas, and the stomach. Mm, okay. The results of the autopsy also showed two broken capillaries in Robert's eyes, which is commonly found in somebody fighting for air. Mm -hmm. So during suffocation or strangulation. But this asphyxiation wasn't what was fatal. It was established that the stabbings were what was fatal. So maybe something over his head to keep him quiet. Sure. Or another theory, this is what they claimed on the autopsy, was that he was stabbed in the heart, the pancreas, and the stomach, like I said. So maybe his lungs were filled with blood, causing him to suffocate mm. as well. But again, it's a 40-minute span, so I don't know. I'm assuming you'd bleed a lot. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But the stab wounds were named the cause of death. During autopsy, they also swabbed Robert's mouth mm-hmm. around his genitals and his anus. And this is where it gets a little graphic, but this is actually done in most autopsies, especially if they're checking for sexual assault. Sure. Uh, There was no injury or sexual assault found on the body, but DNA did show semen found around the thighs, genitals, and in Robert's rectum. DNA also showed that the semen was his own. Okay. Now, this is a bit thought-provoking until you put two and two together and what... The FBI find in Dylan's room. In Dylan's room, they found many sex toys of many kinds. And remember, he and Joe have a d- dominant, submissive relationship. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there is nothing wrong with that for two consensual adults. And all these sex toys, there's there's nothing wrong with this for two consensual adults. But finding Robert the way he was, mm-hmm. uh, especially after the autopsy, they found restraints floggers, clamps, metal probes, and this electrical shock generator, which they call the milking machine. To sum it up real quick, because again, this is incredibly uncomfortable talking about with my mother. Um, it forces ejaculation, even if the man is not awake. Wow. Police were only left to assume that this or something like it was used on Robert. Oh, no. Because it was his own semen found. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, like I said, between two consensual adults, this stuff is fine. But I don't know what went beyond what went on behind closed doors, of course. But everybody claims Robert was never into any homosexual relationships before. He was happily married with his wife, and everybody that knew him knew he was a heterosexual. So you would think that would come out if he wasn't. So right. Uh, Another thing they found in Dylan's room was another set of cutlery items. Now, he had gone to culinary school, like I mentioned. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. So I, but I guess it's normal for chefs to have knives in their bedrooms. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe he just wanted to keep it separate from, maybe they were really nice knives and he brought them to class. I have no idea. And he wanted to keep them separate from what the rest of the house had in the kitchen. All right. I, I don't know, Mom. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. But this pack of knives was found in his room, and one of the knives was, was missing. missing. 
and not to mention that this knife probably would have been a proper proportion to the murder weapon. But this knife has never been found. Of course not. More evidence found in the investigation was found actually by cadaver dogs. The dogs signaled at finding blood in a lint trap as well as in a drain in the courtyard outside. The drain cover outside was also not fully on the drain. It was kind of like somebody had quickly tried to put Mm -hmm, it back on. mm -hmm. The hose outside was also not wrapped up properly, leading many to assume that something or someone was washed off outside. Mm. So even though the cadaver dogs found blood, there's no evidence... That says it was Robert's blood, though. Oh, but And still no blood was actually found. found. Like, physically. So they couldn't yeah. test it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would assume from finding this that someone or something was washed of blood outside and then put in the dryer. But, like I said, there was nothing. There, were, there was no clothes in the dryer. There was no bloody clothes or anything found. There was nothing in the laundry when, when investigators got there. Jeez. Well, they could have washed off Robert without drying anything. I mean, he was mm-hmm. found... You know, his body didn't have much blood on it. No, but he had a shirt on that was dry with no blood. But it had stab. Did it have yes. stab? Okay. Yes. And there's no witnesses to anything. The only thing you might be able to consider as a witness is the neighboring townhome resident. She claimed to hear a scream while she was watching the 11 o'clock news, which investigators suspect the scream came then between 11 and 1130 if she was watching the 11 o'clock news. Mm-hmm. But Victor did not call 911 until 11.49. Right. Right. Some defense say that that was Victor's scream. When they found the body, Victor screamed and he admitted he screamed. But okay. So if you screamed when you found the body and that was between 11 and 11.30 and the neighbor heard that scream, why did you wait 19 minutes to call? And then those emails or whatever they were that weren't sent, that were just drafted. They were at 11.05 and 11.07. To cover tracks. Why weren't they sent? Even if it was Robert, why weren't they sent? I don't I don't think it was and one Robert. One of them was a, a message. Right, exactly. A lot of people don't. Dylan said in questioning that after the small talk of Dylan, Robert, and Joe in the kitchen when Robert first arrived, they had small talk. Dylan claimed that Joe had gone outside to get a spider off of a light. And that maybe he had left the back door unlocked when he came back in. Mm. Completely plausible. Mm-hmm. And I mean, because they are stern in the fact that this was an intruder. But I just don't, that still just doesn't make sense. It doesn't sense make to, sense. Because nothing was stolen. Like, why Robert? Why would you intrude to kill Robert? Right. The three men give consistent narrative of the night, and to this day, they still do. The death occurred on August 2nd, and on August 4th, Joe, Victor, and Dylan did go and pay a visit to Kathy. They had about a half-hour meeting together alone, basically sharing the same vague story that they had been telling the police. The following day, Kathy called an old roommate and classmate of Robert's. His name was Jason Torchinsky. He, too, was a lawyer, as well as a formal federal prosecutor. She asked him to join her as she talked to detectives on August 5th. On August 6th, Joe Price calls Jason Torchinsky. They, you know, they went to college together. Mm -hmm, He was mm a friend of him, too. Um, And Joe tells Jason that his lawyer wanted to know what happened in that meeting with detectives. Uh, None of your business. But Jason said that he needed Kathy's permission because he was acting as her lawyer. Mm -hmm. The two chatted, just catching up small talk, and the call ended. But as Jason hung up the phone, he realized how weird that was. Why would Joe need or want to know what Mm -hmm. happened in that meeting? Another lawyer friend told Jason he needed to find another lawyer for Kathy because he was like family to them. So he contacted Cummington and Burling, the job that Robert had had before Radio Free Asia. Mm -hmm. And they hired or they found Eric Holder, which according to a podcast I listened to called Mile Higher... Um, He was a big deal. Uh, He was on the D.C. Superior Court from 88 to 93, was the U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia. In 97, he served as deputy attorney general under Clinton and then under Obama later on. And he covered the Robert case for free. Okay, so he is Kathy's lawyer. Yes. Okay. Robert's old job helped Mm -hmm. get him. Robert's funeral a few days later was packed. I mean, he touched so many lives. Kathy's life after Robert's death was hard. She went into a spiraling depression. The bank was threatening to foreclose on her home. She didn't care. She didn't. She just didn't care. She was so depressed. 
There was just so many memories in that house. She moved in with a friend and actually took about a year before she got a new part-time job that was very understanding of, you know, random work hours when she could. Mm -hmm. She got a new dog and she ended up moving back into the old house. Wow. In 2007, there was a new lead prosecutor on the case, Glenn Kirshner, and he proceeded to try to get the men to talk, but nothing. No. Joe actually ended up selling the home on Swan Street, buying an apartment in D.C. for he and Victor, and he also bought a house in Florida where they vacationed and where Dylan lived. In 2008, there was an arrest warrant for Dylan Ward. He was being charged with obstruction of justice. Their assumption at this point was that Robert had been drugged with some paralytic drug, even though that was not found in the toxicology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Remember, that wasn't able to be tested for. But they assumed he had been drugged, sexually assaulted, possibly smothered, and stabbed. And then the three had waited 19 to 41 minutes before calling 911. They believed that electrical... Stimulant or whatever that is, yeah. Yeah, they believed, like I mentioned, it forced uh, ejaculation while he was unconscious. In December, Dylan received an additional charge of conspiracy. And at this time, Joe and Victor also were charged. Good. The three men were under a curfew order and had to wear monitoring devices. Also around this time, Kathy, Kathy filed a $20 million wrongful death lawsuit claiming that the three men destroyed evidence, wasted time cleaning instead of calling 911. This was eventually settled August 2011 outside of court for an undisclosed amount. Mm. But before then, in June 2010, the three men went to trial, of course, with the most esteemed lawyers. They were being charged with conspiracy, tempering with evidence, and obstruction of justice. They opted for a judge instead of a jury. None of them testified. Because they're cowards. June 29th, the judge found all three men not guilty. Uh. She believed they knew who killed Robert. But prosecution failed to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that they were guilty of the charges. It sucks. It really, really sucks. So here are the things that the prosecution messed up on. Several hours of interrogation were not videotaped. Huh? Why? Mm Mm-hmm. While searching for biological evidence, they used a chemical, like luminol, Uh to find uh blood splatter and everything. They used another kind of product. They didn't use luminol. They used something else. And there's pictures of this blood splatter. It's, like, black in the pictures, and it was in the hallway outside the guest room. It was all over the guest room. But apparently the chemical had been used incorrectly, meaning all evidence found with the chemical could not be used in court. Oh, no. Robert's Blackberry was never tested for fingerprints, so others also assumed that he did not draft those emails. The Blackberry was never tested for fingerprints. It was basically just recycled back into service at his old job. There was a 10-day gap between when they received a search warrant for the suspect's car and when they executed the warrant. So anything could have happened within those 10 days. So those bloody things that they dried, they could have thrown it in their car. Oh, jeez. And it could have stayed there. There was 10 days between when the police got the warrant to when they executed the warrant. Oh my gosh. Toxicology report just stunk. Proper drugs were not tested for. I mean, obviously, again, he had to have been drugged. They found needle marks oh, in his right. neck, his arm, his hand, his foot. Like... Mm-hmm. But what were those needle marks? And then medical examiners kept only three cubic centimeters of blood, meaning no testing can be done anymore because there's not enough, enough blood. DNA. Oh my gosh! What they the also heck? did not <laughs> they also did not spend a lot of time actually investigating if it really could have been an intruder. I mean, I'm writing it off. There's no way this was an intruder, and investigators wrote it off too, obviously, because it's just. It's not a plausible explanation, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they didn't take the time to research into it to prove that it was not possible. Okay. So they could not prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Victor, Joe, and Dylan were guilty. Well, that's our law. To this day, no one has been charged in the death of Robert Wan, a man so caring and so giving. It's just really sad to think his family will never have answers. I think all three, Dylan, Joe, and Victor, know what happened. Mm. But 
I don't think justice will ever be served in this case. Unless one of them does a death... A deathbed confessional? Yes, a deathbed confession. (laughs) That's horrible. I'm sorry, that was a little longer than usual, but Robert deserved it. His story needs to be shared, and it's not like there's any witnesses that can come forward and help Robert or Kathy or any of his family in this, but just getting his story out there, he was such a good human and it just sucks it just sucks i can't find another word for it it sucks god i just can't even imagine Mm -mm. to go through that (sighs) horrible it's just it's a bizarre case that your mind just cannot wrap around i mean it just seems so obvious and then it just sucks that the proper work wasn't done to find these men guilty no no so should we take another shot now or (laughs) yeah and then you'll figure out why we're taking shots (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. Shot, 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 shots. <laughs> All right, Beth. You know, we've often covered haunted houses, right? Yes. I was trying to stay away from that when I was researching haunted places in D.C., but I couldn't resist this one. And you'll soon <laughs> find out why. The name of this house is the Octagon House. Mm. Have you heard about it? I think so, maybe. (laughs) You might have to refresh my memory. Okay, the Octagon House is a strange name, but even weirder, I guess, or funnier, is the fact that the house isn't actually octagon in shape. It's actually hexagon. (laughs) Or hexagonian. I don't know what you say. So there's five sides to it? Hexagon, yeah. Instead of eight? So why do they call it octagon? Does somebody mess up? No, hexagon is six. Pentagon is five. Oh, shoot. (laughs) So does somebody mess up like me? (laughs) I hate to call you out in public, but there you go. I just put it out there in public. (laughs) I guess in... What does a hexagon look like? I don't even know. I guess in 1801, when it was completed, it earned its name because of the number of angles and sides of the building in the center of the house is this large winding staircase, which acts as a corridor of sorts leading to various rooms. So is a hexagon like a stop sign? That's a hexagon, right? No, that's an octagon. Ask your son. I'll ask my five-year-old when he gets back from <laughs> kindergarten. <laughs> so I'm just saying you're trying to picture it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you can pull it up and look at it. Okay. Okay. I might just have to. <laughs> The house was built as as it was to maximize the space of the small lot where it was built. So okay. it is a very, very interesting looking house. The center of the building is a large, like I said, winding staircase. <laughs> I just repeated myself. <laughs> oh, been there, done that. <laughs> I already said that, so... The six-sided house. Because it's a hexagon. Because it's a hexagon. Not an octagon. Oh, my gosh. Six-sided. <laughs> We're never going to get to this story. We're just stuck on this. Okay. It's a, a six-sided house with a is huge. an octagon. I got that. Five is this... pentagon. This is six. It's hexagon. Okay. So this is a six-sided house, but it's called an octagon. Yeah. And... <laughs> It has a staircase in the middle of it. Clear that up. I'm with you so far. Okay. So the house is made of bricks. And it oh, a- we got a new fact. <laughs> Don't confuse that with the hexagon and the octagon, okay? Oh, I already have. And in 1808, it was designed with very innovative features. Like, get this, closets in every room. Oh, that's bougie. Nowadays, we take closets for granted, especially here in the States. But I guess back then, they were pretty unheard of. I have every closet stuffed full of way too much crap. (laughs) Well, even in Europe, closets are considered an extra space. And so a lot of like apartments and stuff don't have closets. Interesting. Just putting that out there. Closets, closets, closets. Uh-huh. I, I do not take my closets for granted. The doors of the home were made from mahogany, and the house was fashioned with some of the finest materials available. So, who can afford to build such a home? You ask me. Who? 
It was built as the winter home, not the regular home, but the That one was an octagon. It was built as the winter home of John Taylor the third and his family. The man was at one point considered one of the richest Americans of the post-revolutionary war era. Wow. The house was designed by William Thornton, who was the man responsible for designing the U.S. Capitol building. Hopefully he got the oh. named that right. The U.S. Capitol building. The building, well, this house has six sides and it's called the Octagon House. It just still doesn't make any sense to me. The man was not as intelligent as everybody thinks. Moving on with a little bit more history. During the War of 1812, the White House was burned down by the British. Madison was president at the time, and he and his wife, Dolly, resided in the Octagon House from September 1814 to March 1815. And it was actually in this home that President Madison signed the Treaty of Ghent, which ultimately ended the war between the United States and Britain. Britain. I knew that. Had a lot of history this little house now on to the paranormal as you might guess because the history of this grand building there are quite a few stories (laughs) 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 that just hit me the shot or (laughs) as in most of our paranormal research there are reports from visitors of the octagon house of cold spots and strange uneasy feelings especially when they are on the staircase bingo it is fact that both tylo and his wife died in the house both of natural causes I also read that one of the couple's daughters accidentally fell down the three-story staircase could the reported screams heard at night be from her? Ooh. The earliest report of paranormal activity in the house was actually in 1908, and that was of seeing Dolly Madison's ghost and the smell of lilacs. Why would she choose to haunt this house? Because she lived there for a while. For like eight months. Yeah, well, maybe she dug it. <laughs> And in 1912, the Washington Herald reported, quote, Between midnight and dawn, there is a low hum of pleasant conversation, the sound of silver and the clink of glasses, unquote. Perhaps the lingering sounds of the many parties Dolly was known to give. Now, it is not unusual to smell the scent of lilacs, whether her ghost is seen or not, sometimes so strongly that people have to leave the room. Really? Mm-hmm. Is there a lilac bush in it, or, or is this is this a spirit? It's her. Yeah, it's her spirit. Oh wow! So now I do have to add here that I was looking through other things, you know, to to do instead of the Octagon House and Dolly Madison. I don't know whether she got around <laughs> during her day, but she got. She sure gets around. Did you just call one of the first wives a slut? No, it's just that she is seen in, in most every paranormal activity or haunted really? house. In D.C.? It, uh-huh. She is seen. <laughs> well, she threw parties. Yeah. I just don't know. That's really funny. So either she was very busy visiting and entertaining when she was alive, or she's making up for it now. <laughs> so, <laughs> Good for her. But Dolly is not the only spirit that resides at the Octagon House. There is the story of a doctor in the late 1940s who made a house call to the home. After caring for his patient and on his way out, he asked if there was a costume party happening that night. Of course, there wasn't. And the very confused doctor told the owner that he had just passed a man dressed in early 1800s military uniform as he was coming down the stairs. Ooh. There are also the reports of a man wearing dark black clothes and a tall hat. Now, immediately I thought Lincoln, but Lincoln, <laughs> yeah. that's not where it went. One such report came from a maintenance man who was at the house late at night. He was vacuuming the stairs and saw this dark clad man coming up the stairs. And as he passed, he actually tipped his hat and continued up the stairs. How polite. And then disappeared. 
Of course, stories abound about old houses. They often include murder and suicide. The Octagon House is no different. There are many different versions of a beautiful servant girl who was murdered, either because of jealousy or because she saw too much. There are just different stories on that. Her body was stuffed into one of the closets. And oh, supposedly... That's what the closet was used for. One of the closets. And supposedly, a body was actually found in an odd, out-of-place closet in the house. So, maybe the story's true. There is a story <laughs> of a crazed lover <laughs> who leaped over the top balustrade. Is it the top balustrade? What the, are you trying to say? The top balustrade of the staircase. Balcony? The rail. The banister? <laughs> you're going astray. I have no idea what you're talking okay. There is I'm a going story astray. of a crazy lover who leapt over the top banister. rail or whatever of <laughs> the staircase, falling to his death at the bottom of the three-story staircase. A dark form has been reportedly seen walking from the last step into adjoining room. Perhaps the crazed lover... In 1888, it was reported that 12 men decided to just quelch the ghost legends and spend the night in the house. Their first-hand account was printed in a local newspaper in 1892. I love this. Then again in 1934, 1941, 1950, and 1969. <laughs> so they really wanted to share their story. The account goes as follows. The 12 men separated in groups, covering the basement to the top floor. All was quiet until 12 midnight. As three of the men entered a room on the second floor, they heard three loud female screams from the center of the room. To give the men credit, they did not run from the house, but all three <laughs> huddled together in, until the morning. And during that such brave men. And during that time they did hear the clanking of sabers, trampling of boots, and swishing of skirts. The twelve men never returned to the house. The oldest of reports is one that deals with the mysterious ringing of servants' bells. <laughs> it's ringing some bells now, Mom. <laughs> okay. The shot is ringing some bells. Supposedly, President Monroe's daughter, Maria, was the first to report the strange sound. She is said to have written that every night at the same time of night, the bells would ring violently and loudly. Oh my gosh. Some people say that perhaps the ringing was generated by rats gnawing on the cords. Oh, but gross. my question is, why are they doing it at the same time every night? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's time to go get some rope. Others say that it might be the spirits of the slaves that once served in the house coming back to visit and announcing the visit with the ring of the bells. That's creepy. A priest was even called to the home at one time to perform an exorcism on the bells to no avail. They kept ringing. An exorcism to just the bells? Mm -hmm. Now, I actually read that part of it. The bells, the cords to the bells was cut and the bells still continued to ring. That is so creepy. And just in case you want to witness these ringing bells yourself, I'll save you the trip. They have been removed from the house, so they no longer are ringing. Because they rang so much? Yeah, they're no longer ringing. Instead, you can just go have a shot. And you might hear them ringing after that. <laughs> I can attest. There are other occurrences. The sound of rustling silk on the staircase. The hanging lamp in the hallway will... will abruptly just start swinging back and forth. There are reports of smells of cooking food coming from the kitchen. One curator reported to have found tiptoeing tracks of human feet in the undisturbed dust of the top floor landing. Oh, that's creepy. And that's from the Evening Star, 1965. An intern working at the Octagon House, which is now a museum, reported that late one night as he and his lab, dog, not he was working in a lab. He had a lab dog. Got it. I assume. We're walking yes. through the house. They went to the basement. The dog began to growl and then suddenly lunged to the middle of the room. Then just oh. as suddenly, he sat down cowering and whimpering. Oh, He no. continued this until they went back up the stairs. Oh, that's creepy. In 1982, 
There was even a Washington, D.C. police report concerning the Octagon House. It was at night. Everyone had gone home and the house was locked up. About 10 or 11 p.m., the police drove by the house and saw the front door was wide open. Oh, Some windows on the top floor were open with the curtains swinging and swinging in the breeze. You know, like the curtains had come out and they were just swaying in the breeze mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And lights were on in some of the rooms. The police called the managers of the home who came to close everything up again. But later that night, when the police drove by once more, everything was lit up and open again. And this happened several times that night. Oh, my gosh. So, actually, self-guided... That's actually really cool. <laughs> it is. And that's a police report. Yeah. Oh, Self-guided tours of the Octagon House are not available right now because probably of COVID. But Damn COVID. according to the website, private tours can be booked for small groups. And if you go to the website, you can also do a virtual tour. Oh, wow. How fun. Which I did. Oh, my gosh. The house is just absolutely stunning. Dunning, and the staircase is unbelievable, unbelievable. Now, you can't find spirits that way or experience the spirits, but it is definitely worth your time to get onto the website and look at this absolutely stunning home. I love it. I love it. There you go. I love that places are doing those virtual tours now. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember when... um the Winchester Mystery House is doing their virtual right, tours. Right. It's just it's just cool because I don't know when I'll be able to get out there. Well, we probably see these we things. probably wouldn't. So, <laughs> but check it out. It's really just absolutely beautiful. So terrible story that you told. You're welcome. And hopefully, I brought you up a little bit with spirits you did. of the past. And that you rang us up, Dolly Madison. I am telling you. <laughs> can't believe you said that a president's wife was getting around. <laughs> Her spirit sure is. <laughs> Man. Oh, all right, sweetheart. All right, mom. Well. <laughs> we are back. <laughs> and I am totally not here. I swear by the end of every episode, I'm like, <laughs> um, I'm like gone. If you'd like to witness Beth being gone like this next week, join our Patreon so we can keep buying these beverages. <laughs> yeah, patreon.com backslash killer hangover podcast. You know the drill. It's in the description of this episode. And you can find the link in our website where the resources and photos of this episode will be. So our website is killerhangoverpodcast.com. There you can message us, send us some stories, some places that you'd like us to cover. Send us some cocktails you would like us to try. We'd be happy to do so now that Beth Please. can drink again. Please. Visit us on Facebook also and on Instagram. Yep. <laughs> All right, kiddo. Fun again. <sighs> Fun again. It feels so great to be back. It does. It does. Cheers, Mama. Cheers, my dear. I love you, kid. <laughs>